Yeah, but this morning we're back to Genesis, which I know it's been a little while, but let's turn to chapter 30 together this morning. We're going to be considering together uh, Jacob. And one thing that was kind of a takeaway this last week as we got away and just had time to be still before the Lord, there was some reflecting. And I don't know about you guys, but there comes a point in life where you get sick of learning the hard way. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, we know God's word is perfect. We know that his ways are way better than ours. We know that he is absolutely right. But sometimes, even if we've grown up in the church or the faith, is it really better, God? And then we try to do it our own way, and then we learn the hard way that, whoa, God, you were actually right. Your ways are actually good. And reflecting this last week, there's just things in life, life in ministry, uh, just looking back, you guys know that there's no perfect church, right? And there's just things we can look into, you know, ministries and other brother and sisters' lives, and we can actually learn a lot of what not to do. You guys know that? And kind of reflecting, I kind of was looking at that. There's a lot that I don't ever want to do that <laughs> or, or go there, and we can learn. And I feel that's been a lot of genesis. I don't know if you guys are feeling the same way. We're walking through. I mean, this, this, we're dealing with Jacob this morning. This, this is, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know? And all these guys have been pretty messed up thus far, okay? And it's just like, what? You know, where are the superheroes of the faith? You know, it's just like, no, these were normal guys that God loved and dealt with. And that's this morning. We're going to get through a, a great passage of Scripture uh, just dealing with Jacob and a lot of what not to do. So I'm hoping as we go through, and we're going to do a little more than normal, but these chapters fit so well together. I wanted to cover them all this morning. So we're going to get rolling so we can get through it. So Father, we just pray a blessing upon your word here. We know that it's been given uh, from you, Lord, that it definitely can work in our lives. And I know some of us this morning, we need to hear from you. Lord, we need encouragement. We need truth, Lord. Uh, you've told us to renew our minds, Lord, and uh, just help us to be open to changing our thinking. God, thank you so much that you are right. We thank you that your ways are better than ours. So please give us ears to hear this morning what your spirit would be speaking to us. Amen? Amen. Now, <clears throat> no one knew the perils of having multiple wives more than Jacob, okay? Um, he married Leah, Right, and then he married Rachel, and then had children. Rachel's maid, Billa, and later Leah's maid, Zilpa. But if you ever doubt God's wisdom when it comes to polygamy, you shouldn't do it. Turn to Genesis chapter thirty and read this chapter. Okay, <laughs> you need to see. Uh, so it begins now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children. Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, I am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb. So she said, here is my maid, Billa. Go into her and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. So surrogate motherhood was very common practice in Oriental culture, right? You guys remember when Sarah suggested the same thing to Abraham previously in Genesis, okay, with the maid? Look at verse 4. Then she gave him Billa, her maid, as a wife, and Jacob went into her, and Billa conceived and bore Jacob a son. And then Rachel said, God has judged my case, and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. And Dan means judge. And Rachel's maid, Billa, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, with great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister. And indeed, I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali, or my wrestlings. And now this baby battle has begun. Look at verse 9. And when Leah saw that she had stopped her bearing, she took Zilpah, and made, her maid, and gave her Jacob as wife. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, a troop comes. So she called his name Gad, which means troop, right? 
So in other words, Leah is vowing that, hey, I'm going to have a whole army of babies, right? Um, and she's determined to have more kids than her sister Rachel. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, I am happy for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher, which means happy. Now, verse 14, Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field. The word mandrakes literally means love apples. Um, they're this plant. They got these dark leaves. They'll blossom blue and yellow um, flowers. Uh, the ancients believe that mandrakes would help with sexual fertility. Okay, So Reuben brought them to his mother Leah. And then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, it is a small matter that you have taken away my husband. Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. So this is how desperate Rachel has gotten to bear a child, okay, and to keep up with her sister. So she tells her husband, um, hubby's affection for what she thinks is, you know, these fertility drugs. But it says, when Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come into me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. So she is called or called his name uh, Issachar, which means higher. Okay. So Leah somehow feels vindicated, you know, for all that she's done in this conflict with Rachel. And I imagine that she feels after, you know, trades uh, a night with Jake for this, you know, bouquet of mandrakes. Uh, she's mad. She's frustrated by what's gone down here. You know, how did Leah give birth, right? Then Leah, we're told, conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulon, which means dwelling. And afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Verse 22, then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb and she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. And the Lord will, okay? And it comes at a steep price. I'm not going to get there today, but in chapter 35, guys, Jacob and Rachel enter into the uh, land of Canaan there. Um, near Bethlehem, and Rachel goes into a life-ending uh, labor, okay? Uh, she has Benjamin, and we'll get there. But verse 25, and it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob had said to Laban, send me away, that I may go to my own place and to my own country. Give me wives and my children for whom I have served you, and let me go. For you know my service, which I have done for you. So it's time for Jacob to go home. And Laban said to him, Please stay, if I have found favor in your eyes. For I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. And then he said, Name me your wages, and I will give it to you. So in other words, Laban's saying to Jacob here, Hey, what's it going to take for you to stick around a little longer? So Jacob said to him, You know how I've served you and how your livestock had been with me. For what you had before I came, it was little, and it is now increased to great amount. And the Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now, when shall I provide for my own house? So he said, What shall I give you? And Jacob said, you should not give me anything if you will do this one thing for me and I will again feed and keep your flocks. Let me pass through all the flock today, removing from there the speckled, the spotted sheep and the brown ones among the lambs and the spot and the speckled among the goats and these shall be my wages. You guys see in the Middle East, um, 
to this day, most sheep are white. In the goats, they are brown or they're black. Solid pigmentation is a dominant trait. So according to the laws of genetics, are recessive and dominant traits. So this pigmentation then had caused that are caused by these dominant genes. So when we consider the spotted and the speckled skins, those are all recessive. Obviously, Laban's thinking here, hey, he's going to end up with far more livestock than Jacob. Okay, this sounds like a good deal to me. Verse 33, so my righteousness will answer for me in the time to come. When the subject of my wages comes before you, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and the brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. And Laban said, oh, that it is according to your word. What a deal, right? So this arrangement seems to benefit Laban big time by cutting out the herd of the speckled and the spotted animals. There's a less chance of them to produce more speckled or spotted. So he removed that day the male goats and where, that were speckled and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had some white in it and all the brown ones among the lambs and gave them into the hand of his sons. And he put three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flock. So Laban here took Jacob's speckled and spotted herds and distanced uh, him from Jacob three days apart. And Jacob continues to care for Laban's herd. But we're told here in verse 37, he employs this unusual practice. Catch this. Now Jacob took himself rods of green poplar and the almond and chestnut trees, peeled white strips in them and exposed the white which was in the rods and the rod which had been peeled. And he set it before the flocks in the gutters and in the watering troughs where the flock came to drink so that they should conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. So we're not sure how it happened, but we don't know God blessed Jacob, okay? We're told in chapter 33, verses 10, 11, and 12, it indicates that God gave Jacob a dream of a herd, and that herd, his herd would be more prosperous um, with the spotted and the speckled. So genetically speaking, that's impossible, but God works in spite of scientific law, okay, to bless Jacob. That's our God. So God was not blessing Jacob's cleverness, but his faith. Okay, that's what God is blessing. And this is the lesson I think God had been trying to teach Jacob this entire time. Okay, that he needed to trust and not to scheme. Verse 40, then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face towards the street and all the brown in the flock of Laban and he, but he put his own flocks by themselves, and he did not put them with Laban's flocks. So the weak sheep bred with the weak, and the healthy with the healthy. Thus it made Jacob's herd stronger. And it came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters, that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in, so the feebler of Laban's and the stronger of Jacob's. Thus, the men became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. So God prospered Jacob and grew the flocks or the herds. Uh, chapter 31. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob has taken away all that, that or was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has acquired all this wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed, it was not favorable towards him as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. So God put a desire in the heart of Jacob to go home. Okay, um, This happened earlier, but now it's time to act upon that desire. Has God put desires in your heart, spoken promises to you? And some of us, we want it now, right? 
That's why we all like Amazon Prime. We want to get it as quick as we can. <laughs> Sometimes promises take a while. Okay, It's been 20 years here. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to his flock and said to them, I see your father's countenance that is not favorable towards me as before. But the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might, I have served your father. Yet your father has deceived me. And he's changed my wages 10 times. But God did not allow him to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said, the streaked shall be your wages, then the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away livestock of your father and given them to me. So Jacob here is admitting okay, that it's been, it hasn't been his breeding techniques that has enabled him to prosper. It was all God. So this is what really frustrates me when it comes to church growth programs. You see some churches that just explode and then they ask that pastor to come and teach all the other pastors their methodology on what they have to do to make a church grow. I read in scripture, God says he adds to the church. Okay, It should be his plan and it should be for his glory. And that's one of those things that we need to realize, guys. We can scheme, we can do this and do that and try to make it happen. Okay. Or we can just let God do what he wants to do. Amen? So, yeah, and God gets the glory. That's the cool part. So Jacob admits here, it wasn't his brilliance, but God's blessing that increased the flock. Now check out verse 10. And it happened at that time when the flocks conceived that I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream and behold, the rams which leapt upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray, spotted, and the angel of God spoke to me in a dream saying, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift your eyes now and see all the rams that leap on the flocks are streaked and speckled and gray spotted for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. So Jacob received this insider information from God. Isn't that kind of cool? Okay, uh, it's kind of like you know receiving a tip on the stock market from an angel, you know. Uh, but I want you guys to notice it's not just any angel. Did you guys catch that? The angel we're told, or messenger of God. So notice that this messenger says, "I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me." Now arise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family. So this angel identifies himself as God. Isn't that pretty cool? So the true God that met Jacob in Bethel, back there in the land of Haran. So obviously this angel is none other than a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Now look at verse 14. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? So amazingly, these sisters are finally getting, getting together, right? You know, they're coming together, and it's because they share a common greed. How sad. <laughs> and we are not considered strangers by him, for he has sold us. And he has also completely consumed our money for all the riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to do, do it. So they no longer have any loyalty to their father Laban. Okay, They want to do their own thing. And then Jacob rose, we're told, and set his sons and his wives on camels and carried away all the livestock and all the possessions which he had gained. And his, uh, he, he's acquired livestock and he gained in Padamaram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. So Jacob loads up the caravan and he's trying to sneak out of town here, right? Verse 19, now Laban had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. So apparently, uh, this doesn't mean that Rachel's an idolater. Guys, if you guys remember, she wouldn't even let her son marry with pagan women, right? With idolaters. But a better explanation here, okay, of these idols or teraphim, uh, they're called, they really symbolized household 
ownership is what they did. So really, they were making a claim on her family's inheritance by taking those is what she was doing. And we're told, and Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban, to Cyrene, and in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all that he had. He arose and he crossed the rivers. This is the Euphrates. And he headed towards the mountains of Gilead. That's almost 300 miles away. And Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. So Jacob had a three-day head start here. And then Laban took his brethren with him and pursued Jacob for seven days' journey and overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. But God had come to Laban the Cyrene in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. So God is protecting Jacob. So Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains. And Laban with the brethren pitched their, or their mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken by the sword? Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and songs, with timbrel and harp. Are you guys buying Laban's sincerity? <laughs> no way. Okay. Verse 28. And you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly in doing so. And it, or it is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful that you do not speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. And now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? So here's a funny thought, guys. What is it to worship a god that can be stolen? Right? That's sad. Okay? That's the folly of idolatry. And we are all created to worship something. You guys know that people that don't even believe in God, atheists, they still worship something. Why? Because God has created us to worship. Everybody worships something. But what folly to worship anything, anyone else besides the one and true living God. Because everything else can be lost. Everything else is lesser. Anything else cannot save. Then Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, for I said, perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force with whomever you find your gods. Do not let him live in the presence of our brethren. Identify what I have of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Jacob um, met the true God at Bethel and he would never be tempted after that to worship any other God because he knew the true God, right? Um, so he's finding, hey, if you find an idol, I didn't take no idol, I'm not worshiping it. <laughs> take it, you know, kill the person who did. So Laban went out into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent and into the maid's tents and he did not find them. And he went into Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken household idols, but or put them in the camel's saddle, and then sat on them. Laban searched all the tent, but he did not find them. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of woman is with me. In other words, I can't get up, Dad. It's that time of month. And what dad's going to question their daughter on that, right? And he searched, but did not find the household idols. And then Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. Um, and Jacob answered and said to Laban, what is my trespass? What is my sin that you have so haughtily pursued me? Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren that they may judge between us both. So Jacob becomes bold, right? And he stands up to his father-in-law. 
These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats, they have not miscarried their young. And I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. In the day of drought, consumed me. In the frost by night, in my sleep, departed from my eyes. So he was a faithful shepherd to the sheep. He worked long and he worked hard. That's what he's saying. I worked hard for you. Thus, I've been in your house 20 years and served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages 10 times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac, catch that, had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. So notice the unusual name that comes up in verse 42, the fear of Isaac. Sonny pointed that out to me last, this last week. You know, she's like, did you catch that? The fear of Isaac came up twice. You know, I think when we remember Isaac and when he blessed, okay, um, the younger over the older, he realized that God had fulfilled his promise. Okay, not because of him, but because, uh, but in spite of him, okay, because he lacked any cooperation with what God was wanting to do. So God had pulled rank on Isaac, and it caused Isaac to really have a deep respect for the, the sovereignty of God. So when it talks about the fear of Isaac, you're like, whoa, God's in control. <laughs> this is his deal. So let that be said of you and I, huh? <laughs> the fear of Landon. Okay. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. As a child of God, we're not to be scared of him, but we rightly respect him. Okay. There is a godly fear. I fear my heavenly father. Not that he wants to do harm to me, but he's right and he's good and his ways are best. And, he, and I don't want to do anything that would hurt my dad. Okay. And as a good child, isn't that a heart? You know, I just don't want to do anything that hurts you. I think that's the healthy fear of God. So, verse 43. Laban answered and said, Jacob, these daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children, and this flock is my flock, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these my daughters and these my children that... Uh, they have born. So notice Jacob's part here in searing the kids and growing the flock goes on notice. And here's a classic case of, you know, possessive in-laws. And I think it's good for you and I to remember the creation account. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. So there's a leaving that God expects. Okay. Some of you guys are going to have adulting children soon. It is good for them to get married and to move on. And there needs to be that separation. Okay? So if you are kids with parents and you're allowing them to dictate your life and call the shots, no, there's a lead, leaving. Husband, you need to lead your wife in that. Okay? Separation's good. It's not that, hey, mom and dad, we're done with you completely. No, mom and dad still have a lot of experience, a lot of wisdom. They're going to be there for you. They're going to love you. They're going to pray for you. But you need to be separated unto God. God, what are you asking me and my spouse? We're one now. That's what the Bible says. We're here. What are we doing? What do you want us to do? So that's a healthy thing. Um, yeah, so if you're meddling in-laws, knock it off. Uh, Laban suggests this, okay? Now, therefore, come. Let us make a covenant, you and I. And let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set, up, set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to the brethren, gather stones. And they took the stones and they made this heap. And there they ate on the heap. Laban called it Jigar uh, Shabbatah. And Jacob called it Gilead. Both mean a heap of witness. Okay, For Laban, that was an Aramaic. And of course, for Jacob, that's the Hebrew. 
And Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, the name of the place is called Gilead, also Mizbah, because he said, May the Lord watch between you and me when you are absent one from another. So Mizbah simply means watch. Okay. So Laban's saying, Hey, God's going to watch you, buddy, like a hawk. <laughs> That's what he's saying. So verse 50 sounds like a skeptical <coughs> father-in-law here. If you afflict my daughters, or if you take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is my witness between you and me. So if you mistreat my girls, God's going to work you over, buddy. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Then Laban said to Jacob, Here's this heap, and here's this pillar, which I have placed between you and me. A heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness. And I will not pass beyond this heap to, go to you, and you will not pass beyond this heap um, of this pillar to me for harm. So this pile of rocks would be a boundary uh, for these guys. Then God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their fathers judged between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain, called his brethren to eat bread. And they ate bread and they stayed all night on the mountain. And early in the morning, Laban arose, kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. And then Laban departed and returned to his place. Now I want us to understand that Jacob here, he returned to Canaan a humble man. You see, when he left, he was a double crosser, wasn't he? Okay. Now he returns having been double crossed by Laban. Um, in fact, we're told in verse 41 here that Laban reneged on his promises and actually changed his wages 10 times. But God had been faithful to Jacob. God had kept his promises, had prepared his herds. God had delivered Jacob from the hands of Laban. The man who once trusted only in his schemes was now learning that he can trust the Lord. And in Genesis 32, verse 1, it gives a brief description of what must have been a very profound encounter. So Jacob went on his way, we're told, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. Okay? And he called the name of the place uh, Mahanaim, which means double camp. Okay? Um, so there's a physical camp that was occupied by Jacob's family, but there's also a spiritual camp that's occupied by these assigned angels. Okay? Angels called or sent to protect him. So if you're a child of God, how do I become a child of God? Great opportunity to share the gospel. You need to repent and turn to Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him, okay? Um, <clears throat> he died on a cross so your sins could be forgiven. You understand that? You can be forgiven. And when you receive that gift of forgiveness of eternal life in Christ Jesus, you're born again into a new family, and that is God's family. Think about that. And we're told in the scriptures, guys, okay, Hebrews 1.14 refers to angels as ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation. You, if you are a child of God, you have guardian angels. Isn't that pretty cool to think about? There's been things in life where I've had to really ask, like, whoa, this was just crazy, gnarly, how did that happen? You know, how am I still alive? And I've wondered, hey, were there guardian angels there? Because it shouldn't have shook out that way. Okay. I don't know about you guys, but I keep my guardian angels busy. Um, verse 3, Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. So Jacob left uh, and adversary or, yeah, to Laban. Um, now he faces here confrontation with his brother Esau. If you guys remember the last time that we heard of Esau, his brother wanted to murder him. <laughs> okay, That's where we left off. 
That's what he's going back to. So when the messengers returned to Jacob saying, hey, we come to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you, and 400 men with him. Did you guys catch that? So he's, you know, he has no indication of Esau's intention. He doesn't know what's going on, just that he's coming with 400 men. So if there was a, you know, 400 marching men, you know, it sounds not like a welcome wagon, you know. <laughs> um, sounds more like, hey, we're going to fight, right? So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. So he divided the people that, they were, that were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company, which is left, will escape. I wonder which company Jacob was going to be in. Anyways, he orders this evasive manure, okay, in case of this attack. And Jacob really doesn't know what to expect from his brother, okay? All he knows is that his brother's anger and hatred had probably been brewing this last 20 years, so it's a war path. Verse 9, then Jacob said, Oh, God of my father Abraham, oh, God of my father Isaac, oh, Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of your mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I've become two companies. Man, there's a humility in this prayer, isn't there? Humility is needed in prayer. Aren't we told in Hebrews to come boldly before the throne of grace? Okay, right? We can come boldly. But we're also told in the context of that, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So if we're going to come before the Lord, let us do it humbly. He says, deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me in the mother with the children. So he reminds God of his promises, and this is always a good way to pray. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Guys, this is really interesting to me. And you mark this in your Bibles. This is the first recorded prayer that we find in the scriptures. And what is Jacob praying? The promises of God. We need to learn to pray the promises of God. But I don't know any promises of God. Read the Bible. There's over 5,000 of them. Okay? <laughs> we have much in Christ Jesus. Pray the promises of God. So he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother, there's a lot, guys. Catch this. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 20 milk camels and their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 foals. Guys, this is a sizable peace offering. Now, I'm not a farmer or rancher. I don't know what cattle are going for these days, but I imagine this is huge, okay? And he's given all of this and sending them ahead. And then he delivered them to the hand of his servants. Every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass over before me and put some distance between these successive droves. In other words, spread it out that we may appear more impressive than we are. And he commanded the first one saying, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, to whom do you belong and where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, they are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau, and behold, he also is behind us. And so he commanded the second, the third, and all who followed the drove, saying, In this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him, and also say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us, for he said, I will appease him with a present that goes before me. And afterward, I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on over before him, but he himself lodged that night in camp. So Jacob's approach was very calculated here, guys. Um, trying to get maximum effort out of all his people, 
And he sent gifts, welcome, hopefully to gradually probably soften Esau's heart. Like, oh, another present. Oh, I like presents. Oh, another one. Oh, maybe Jacob's not that bad. We don't know, right? Uh, but here's the only problem. Once again, Jacob's concocting his own plan. What happened to trusting in the Lord? Walking by faith. Holding to the promise that God had made to him. And this really has been the lifelong problem of Jacob. And God is about to cure him of it once and for all. I love this. Look at verse 22. And he arose that night, took his two wives, his female servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. Now, the meaning of Jabbok is emptying. And I, we need to camp out here just for a second. It's a tiny stream that empties into the Jordan River. But the name is very prophetic. And how is that, guys? Because here at Jabbok is where Jacob empties himself of his confidence, of his self-reliance, of his self-assurance. And we're told he took his family, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had, and then Jacob was left alone. So it's at Jabbok that Jacob comes to the end of his rope. He's empty. He's broken. He's alone. He's vulnerable. And Jacob was worried, okay, that at any time his brother Esau was going to jump out of the bushes and kill him, right? So Jacob here is crying out to God to save him. Mama wasn't around to save him anymore, right? He's crying out to God, totally dependent upon God. So he faces the dark of the night and an uncertain tomorrow. And all that is at his disposal at this point was what? His faith. That's all he was left with. Sometimes we feel like everything's been taken, guys. I got nothing left, okay? Your faith is a very precious thing in the eyes of our God. And that's something, no matter what happens to us, this world cannot take from us, okay? So Jacob is there on his faith, emptied, this brook called emptying. And God here empties himself um, or Jacob empties himself and he actually sees the face of God. Then Jacob was left alone, we're told, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. So I'm sure at first Jacob was probably, oh no, Esau found me. We're wrestling. And he's a manly man. He's a hunter. He kills animals. He's going to kill me, you know? Um, so I just remember, I imagine Jacob just failing, you know, flailing there trying to fight for his life. Verse 25 then tells us now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint, um, as he wrestled with him. So Jacob fought, okay, fiercely, tenaciously. And then the man, um, he was wrestling had, uh, you know, loosen Jacob's grip and he touched the hip of his socket, okay? Um, and it came out of joint, um, very painful. Uh, and the man wrestling with Jacob said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So it dawns on him, or it dawns on him as dawn's approaching that he's not wrestling with any mere man. He's wrestling with God himself, okay? And the man asks, well, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob or called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. The name Israel means prince of God. So guys, let me ask you, what have you been wrestling with lately? What are you wrestling with? You know, perhaps you're wrestling with your, your spouse, maybe an ex, maybe a bad boss, maybe a bully, maybe your kids. Um, I think you've probably really been wrestling with God. I think a lot of times we think we're wrestling against flesh and blood. I think there's times that God's trying to get a hold of us and to get our attention, guys. You see, all our lives, we've manipulated, we connived, we tried to work things out the way we've wanted them. But we meet our match. We encounter a situation 
you finally, I, I got nothing. <laughs> I can do nothing. I'm empty, <laughs> right? I need help. That's what happened, I think, here to Jacob. He's finally at the end, end of himself. And notice what he does, guys. When he, 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 it dawns on him that he's, you know, <laughs> wrestling with God. So he stops fighting. And what does he start doing? Praying. Some of you guys need to stop fighting God. <laughs> and you need to start praying. Because isn't that what we did before we came to Christ? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a rebel. I want nothing to do with you, God. You may be my creator, my maker, but I want to be, be the king. I don't want you to be the king. I don't want you calling the shots to be Lord and master, my God. Uh-uh, I want to be my own God. There's a rebellion there. But what happens when we finally humble ourselves and we pray? Okay? That's when we come to faith, right? God, you're right. You're God. I'm dependent upon you. I need you. So he finally admits his need. And Jacob is desperate need here of a blessing from the Lord. So he surrenders, right? Uh, you guys have heard me share uh, the little read by Andrew Murray, Absolute Surrender. It's one of my favorite books. And it's because it's absolutely needed for us as believers. Surrender is the key. So many of us are still wrestling with God because we haven't given up. We still want to fight. Okay? <laughs> we want to wrestle. No, we need to surrender is the key. So he replaces a headlock with a hug here, right? God embraces Jacob. Jacob embraces him here. Um, here's what's really intriguing, okay? You, much, you, you have to put as much effort into your faith as you do into your fight. I see so many people in their own strength. They just want to fight. They want to get it done, you know? It's like, we got a great God. <laughs> we got a big God. How about praying? How about trusting him? How about putting our faith in him? So this is how God wants us to approach him, okay? Um, yeah, follow him, trust him, put your faith in him. Um, yeah, and hey, cry out for God's highest and holiest and richest blessings. I think there's so much that God has for us, but we don't receive because we're like, ha, ah, I got it, God. <laughs> no. I don't know if you guys are like me, but I'm weak. <laughs> I need all the help I can get. And we got to be in a place of receiving by faith. So receive all that God has for you. I don't want to see any of us come short of it. you know. And if you um, have the tendency I have, I feel like I often come short of what God has. Stuff. And that's where it's good just to surrender and be humble before your God. Check out verse 29. Jacob asked, saying, tell me. Your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, which is face of God. That means face of God. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. So I believe it was none other than the Lord Jesus himself who wrestled with Jacob that night. Um, I've known many people, uh, myself included, who wrestled you know, with the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you know, uh, before sincerely surrendering. And there, there has to come a point where you're finally, not just giving lip service to it. I know you're Lord. I know you're God. I have faith in you. But truly surrendering, giving your lives completely. Uh, verse 31, just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. So notice he wrestled with God, but it cost him. It took away his pride. It took away his self-sufficiency. For the rest of his life, Jacob had a limp, okay? A sign of his own weakness. And it was a permanent reminder that he should walk by faith and not by his own cleverness. Sometimes, guys, things are taken away from us. If I was just made whole, if I was feeling better, if I didn't have this limp, if I wasn't lame any longer, man, I could rock it for you, God. I could do so much more. No. God is glorified when we're weak. He's strong. He gets the glory. So don't be tripping on your lameness. Embrace it. Allow God to use it for his glory. Just as he, verse 31, crossed over Pethuel, and the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. 
Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle of the shank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle of the shank. Guys, Orthodox Jews still practice this till today because of this story. Chapter 33 tells us what happened next. The next morning, now Jacob lifted his eyes and he looked. And there was Esau coming. And with him were 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, the two maidservants. And he put, or put the maidservants and their children in front. Leah and her children behind, Rachel and Joseph last. And then he crossed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept and they lifted his eyes and he saw the women and the children. He said, who are these with you? And he said, these children whom God has graciously given your servant. So God is restoring this broken family. Verse 6 says, Then the maidservants came near, and their children, they bowed down, and Leah came near with her children, and they bowed down, and afterward Joseph and Rachel came near, and they bowed down, and Esau said, What do you mean by all this company which I meet? Or meet? Uh, he's talking about gifts that Jacob has sent in advance here, and it tells us, And Jacob said, These are to find favor in your sight, my Lord. But Esau said, If I have enough, my brother, Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, No, please, I have now found favor in your sight. Then receive my present from my hand, inasmuch as I've seen your face, as though I've seen the face of God, and you were pleased with me. Guys, it's amazing. Once a person makes peace with God, they will make peace with their brothers. We're called to be peacemakers. And I often wonder when people are undone and they just want to fight and argue. I often pray for them. God, I don't think they're at peace with you. What's going on? Would you meet with them? God, open their eyes. Change their hearts. Okay? And that's one thing that I love here. Okay? Jacob realizes the hostility with Esau had really been his own fault. Esau wasn't his enemy, right? Jacob was his worst enemy himself. So when a man makes peace with God, he's going to have peace with his brother. That peace is going to follow him. So Jacob is so grateful for what God has done. In verse 11, guys, he begs Esau to take the gift. He says, please take my blessing that is brought to you because God has dwelt graciously with me and because I have enough. And he urged him and he took it. And Esau said, Let us take our journey. Let us go, and I will go before you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children, they're weak, and the flocks and the herds which are nursing with me. And if men should drive them one day, all the flock will die. Please let my Lord go ahead before his servant, and I will lead on slowly at a pace which the livestock that go before me and the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord and here. So even though this reunion has happened, reconciliation has taken place, it's wonderful, right? But Jacob knows that spiritually speaking, that he and his brother are not on the same page, okay? They're taking different routes. <laughs> They're at a different pace, right? Um, they don't need to be traveling together. They had made their peace. And Esau, verse 15, said, Now let me leave you with some of the people who are with me. But said, What need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. And Jacob journeyed to Succoth. But he, or he built himself a house and he made booths or shelters for the livestock. Therefore the name of the place is called Succoth or booths. And then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came to Padam Aram, and he pitched his tent before the city. Now Jacob made a wise decision to separate himself from Esau, but what we're going to see in chapter 34, it's a poor decision to settle in a pagan city of Shechem. 
And he bought a parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamar, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. And then he erected an altar, and there he called it El Elohi Israel, which means God, the God of Israel. So for the time, this first time, guys, Jacob builds an altar. First time, Andy worships. Now, one last chapter. We're going to fly through this quickly, but this all fits together. Now, Dinah. You guys remember, Leah had a daughter also, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. Okay, The only sister, all these brothers. Hey, I want a girlfriend. Okay, <laughs> I need a friend. So she goes out looking. Okay, um, But sometimes, guys, even an innocent desire can lead us astray. We need to understand that finding the right kind of people in the wrong kind of place is never very good, okay? We need to be careful where we're finding our friends. Um, Shechem was the wrong kind of place. Shechem was Canaanite city. It was full of wickedness, full of idolatry. And Dinah is about to, you know, meet it head on. We're told here, and when Shechem, the son of Hemar, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. So this prince, guys was a pervert. And the son of the king, okay, Shechem, raped the daughter of Israel. And we're told his soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, that the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. So Shechem spoke to his father, Hamor, saying, get me this young woman as a wife. And Jacob heard that he defiled Dinah, his daughter. So on the heels of Jacob's spiritual breakthrough here, guys, his newfound faith is tested with tragedy. I think the most difficult tests of faith for you guys who are mom and dads, it often comes when our kids go through things. I don't know if you guys agree with me, you know, but that is hard to see your kids. That wrecks you. You hate seeing it wreck them. It's hard. Now, his sons were told with his livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. And then Hamor and his father of Shechem, they went out to Jacob to speak with him. And the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard it. And the men, they were grieved. They were very angry because he had done disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not to have been done. But Hamor spoke with them saying, the soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him as a wife. And make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters to yourself. So you shall dwell with us and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it and acquire possessions for yourself in it. Guys, notice no apology is ever given there. None. Verse 11, Then Shechem said to her father and said to her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes. And whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me ever how much dowry and gift and i will give according to what you say to me but give me the young woman as a wife so the rapist doesn't apologize either okay instead he tries to cover up this crime with this huge dowry he wants to buy approval and this only made dinah's brothers mad check out verse 13 the sons of jacob answered shechem and hamor his father and spoke deceitfully because he had defiled dinah their sister. And they said to them, we cannot do this thing to give you our sister to one who is uncircumcised for that would be a reproach to us. But on this condition, we will consent to you if you will become as we are. If every male of you is circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters to us and we will dwell with you and we will become one people but if you will not heed us be, or us, and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be gone. So they give this religious reasoning for circumcision here, but the brothers have this entirely alternate, like, uh, ulterior motive to what they're asking them to do. They're planning to avenge their sister. Check out verse 18. Their words pleased Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son, and the young men did not delay to do the thing because 
He delighted in Jacob's daughter. He was more honorable than all the household of his father. And Hamor and Shechem and his sons, they came to the gate of the city and spoke with the men there in the city, saying, Hey, these men are at peace with us. Therefore, let us dwell in the land and trade with them. For indeed, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us, to be one people. If every male among us is circumcised and they are uncircumcised, will not their livestock, their property, and every animal of theirs be ours? Only let us consent to them and they will dwell with us. Verse 24, And all who went out of the gate of his city heeded Hamor and Shechem his son. Every male was circumcised. All who went out of the gate of the city. Now they came to pass on the third day when they were in pain. So the guys remember, these are adult men who had undergone surgery without any anesthesia okay so these guys are sore they are hurting they are incapacitated they're sitting ducks okay and two of their sons jacob of jacob simeon and levi dinah's brothers they each took a sword they came boldly upon the city and they killed all the males and they killed hamor and shechem the son with the edge of the sword and they took dinah from Shechem's house, and they went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain, and they plundered the city because of their sister who had been defiled. They took the sheep, their oxen, their donkeys, and what was in the city and what was in the field and all their wealth, their little ones and their wives, they took captive, and they plundered even all that was in the houses. So this brutality that we see here was done without Jacob's approval or his knowledge, okay? So I think this is a very important point uh, for us. Jacob had lost control of his family, okay? Where's dad? <laughs> uh, later, we're going to see it even when, um, remember when the brothers sold Joseph into slavery and then lied about it to their dad? Okay, this is like an ongoing problem in this family. Jacob was a weak leader when it came to home, um, he played favorites with the siblings. Uh, he was a stranger to his kids. Uh, it could be one of the reasons why Dinah fell into the hands of this prince. Uh, she went out looking for love because her father wasn't there. Dads, do you know how important it is to be there for your daughters? Okay, They're not finding love in the home. They're going to go looking somewhere else for it. We are called to protect. I always encourage dads, date your daughters. Set a good example of what it means to be a godly man, okay? A worthy man. Um, but she falls into the arms of this unhealthy <laughs> pagan dude. Anyways, verse 30 tells us, Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land. Think about that for a second. Among the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. You know, here's an example of Jacob's parental leadership, okay? All he cares about is his own reputation. Are you guys getting what's being laid down? How does my family make me look? Okay, that's what he cared about. What might possibly happen to him? He didn't care so much about Dinah, okay, and her needs. If he did, this whole thing might not have happened. And then verse 31. But they said, should he treat our sister like a harlot? It took the boys of the family to care for their sister. It was wrong. It was savage. It was, you know, excessive. But at least they cared, okay? Jacob certainly had a part to share in the blame here. And it's a rule, guys. When the father refuses to take charge, the kids are going to take over. Guys, you are called to lead your family. You protect. You provide. You need to be present to do so. You need to be there. I don't say that to throw out a trip. I say that because that's the way God's ordained things to be. We are that spiritual covering for our family. So please, guys, <laughs> love well, be present, be there, be a good example of what it means to be a man of God. So again, 
There's a lot of things that we can learn from these chapters of Scripture. And I think there's a lot of things that we can see and learn not to do. <laughs> okay, So hopefully that we see that faith in God is the key. Because when we have faith in God, we're not going to do it in our own strength, in our own power. We're going to step, we're going to believe and trust, and we're going to see God do great things. So Father, we're thankful for these scriptures this morning. God, I just... <laughs> I just thank you when I look at um, just these people <laughs> messed up in many ways, God, but you were still faithful. Lord, we, we thank you this morning that even when we're faithless, you're still faithful. God, we want to walk in wisdom. God, we want to hold to your promises. We thank you that there are many. We thank you that you promise never to leave us or forsake us. You are with us we've been bought with a great price by the blood of the lamb thank you so much that you've redeemed us God, that your spirit lives within us that you are working through us god have the glory help us where needed god, help us to learn humility we are a very prideful people we want to be so right all the time. Forgive us, Lord. Just know that you're the one that's right, always. So help us keep looking to you and trusting in you. Thank you so much for these brothers and sisters here today, those watching at home. God, go before them, Lord. God, protect them. Thank you that you are a provider. You are there. I do want to lift up once again the funeral on Saturday for Beth. God, just pray that she would be honored well, that James and Brittany and Haley would be able to grieve well and be loved on well that day. Lord, pray as a church family that we'd be able to serve and encourage well. And more than anything, we uh, know their heart's desire, Father, is that people would hear the gospel and bow their knee to you. So we just pray that you prepare hearts you'd open eyes and many would see their great need of you thank you so much lord for all that you've done and are doing thank you that you are our god amen